passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That's why I explained to Stephanie my challenge. How can I feel as alive as that night 20 years ago when I was almost dead? So I'm here to tell you that six nights from now, I'm not going to be ringing a bell. I'm not going to be keeping time. I won't be around ringside at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view at all. You see, when that door slams shut on Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns, when their future meets my past and the future becomes now, I'll be locked inside with them as a special referee at Hell in a Cell. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Hello everybody and welcome to Rewind to Raw. I'm John Pollock here alongside Waiting. Back for another week. How are you doing, Way? Doing good, man. Um, oh, I have you. Some... You and I both sound much better. Yeah, I think I have some resi- residual coughing and some res- residual phlegminess. <laughs> so excuse yeah. me if that comes out later on today. But uh, I, I'm doing. I'm doing good. Otherwise, probably not as good as you, though. Maybe not. Maybe not. I was just going to note that in. You know, it used to be the running joke that people would always make fun of us for always talking about when we'd get sick. And I think we've had a pretty good uh, sick-free stretch. But never did our illnesses coincide quite like this one. We got sick within hours, and you and I are at the exact same spot of getting over said uh, cold. It's crazy. Like, I, I feel like I'm your, your doppelganger. I guess I don't know if we've ever traveled with another sick person. For th- no, no. Most hours. people are most people are very considerate to travel with us. No, <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's not just Braden who's been sick. Everybody's been sick. So I've, I've been in contact with many sick people. Maybe it's just something that's been going around. It's but, also cold as hell now in Toronto. We've had an extreme weather change. Oh, I know. And maybe you could tell me more about it, John. Because over the weekend, you gave yourself uh, aquatic therapy. Maybe <laughs> we should say. Okay, I fully intend to talk about this experience. But I'm going to warn you, once I start, like, I'm really going to get into it, okay? So be my guest, please. Like, buckle up, okay? The Raw review might be an hour away. Okay. Are you prepared? Um, No, No, it's not going to be that Uh, in-depth. Let's start off. I mean, or or how do you want to do this? No, it's fine. I I can talk about it right now. Let's hear Uh, about it. Okay, but you just, uh, you keep things on track. Okay. So Saturday was uh, Christmas in Toronto. Aqua was coming to town. It was the concert that I never thought I would get to attend live. There was a day in 2005, June of 2005, that I was sitting at work 
reading about Aqua uh, partaking in some kind of uh, uh, festival that was going to be taking place in Europe. And I remember thinking to myself at the age of 21, should I travel to Europe for this? And the, the, you're kidding the, me. The sane side of me said, no, no, that's, that's ridiculous, John. You cannot fly to Europe to go see Aqua. And it was something, it was always one of those what ifs that I, I said to myself because I never thought that Aqua would, would ever play again. Everyone knows of Aqua, but this was, they were the Stone Cold Steve Austin of popular music. They caught fire in. Uh, okay, uh, explain. Listen. They caught fire in 1998. They only put out two albums. And by 2001, they were done. They did not have this gigantic, long, lengthy run. And when they retired, they were not coming back. They were done. And I just figured I'm never going to get to see them again. This is a a group that sold 33 million albums way. So so don't be a contrarian. I I am hardly alone even though that's how i was i was uh ridiculed and meant to feel like uh led by you but how did i ridicule you come on no i i I know i know you were deeply supportive but then saturday came and i thought you know what i i fully believe now this group they have landed in canada there are no passport issues there are no mysterious illnesses this tour has actually gone through and there i was on saturday ready to go to this concert and i arrive and me and 5,000 other people showed up at this concert. I was shocked when I, watching your Insta- Instagram stories how many people were at this thing. I That's, was stunned. Yeah. Like, I knew it did well. I haven't ever gone to a concert at Echo Beach. I've gone to the larger uh, Budweiser, Budweiser stage, which is next door. And in hindsight, they probably should have booked that. I don't think they would have filled but the Budweiser stage, that thing holds like 16,000 for a concert, but they sold out immediately for this. Like they had a pre-sale, which is when I, I nabbed my eight tickets. And when it, the general on sale, like this was instant, this thing sold out. I'm amazed. So I, I think they undershot themselves way. Aqua was amazed. Like they were up there on stage and they were blown away that they had this kind of a response. But the big drama way, when we got there, we go to the merchandise stand and we're seeing all the Aqua shirts that they have available. And, you know, I will get to the actual performance, but on the merchandise side of things, uh, this was, you know, on par with All In having two merchandise booths with those uh, 11,000 people last Saturday night. They had two shirts to pick from. It's like, you are doing this reunion this is the reunion tour is synonymous with cash grab. Just throw that logo on anything. And these people are going to spend money. These people were just take our money. And they didn't even have a great selection of stuff. But the tour shirt that they had, I see three prominent figures on the Aqua t-shirt. And it appears that Klaus, the fourth member of Aqua, has had some kind of uh, falling out. He was not part of the tour. He's not part of the reunion. I remember looking them up and uh, realizing that Aqua was now down to three members. Yes. So, hmm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. And it was kind of compounded when uh, Renee, who is, you know, this guy's the MC, 
in between the songs, he's like doing his storytelling, which I don't know, not his strong suit, but he talked about, I remember back in 1998 when the three of us were writing songs and it's like, this guy doesn't like Klaus doesn't even exist anymore. Just written out of aqua history. I couldn't believe it. Okay. So that was the big drama. Yeah, that was the big revelation. I didn't oh. realize that, that Klaus was not part of this reunion tour. Okay, before so. you even get, get to Aqua, I want to know, like, like first of all, some of the opening acts and also what they did in between the songs. I'm going to go through all of it. Okay. Uh, because I was right. taking mental notes this entire time. You were, taking, well as, you were taking photos. Like, you did a great job with your Instagram. How, how was my Instagram stories? Dude, you what, killed were, it. Was not it only, too many? Yeah. So John went from, like, not knowing what Instagram stories were to figuring out how to uh, uh, write hand, using using a handwriting tool. You figured out how to use the text tool. You were Instagramming, storying, Snapchatting like a champ, like a 12-year-old. Well, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I can't say I was even surprised. But today, I clicked on my story, and it's got like the number of views that it had over the last few days. And it also has a little list of, you know, who watched. Oh, and, yes. And who watched completely through all of the videos. And there he was, the closet Aqua fan, Damien Abraham, that was living <laughs> vicariously through John Pollock this entire weekend. Oh as, God. you know, he puts out this, this whole punk demeanor, but inside is a Aquaholic that I know would have wanted one of those tickets. I can't and all he had to do was ask. I would have bought him a ticket. I, I would have brought him front and center. And we, so when we get there, uh, I totally bought an Aqua shirt. It was definitely worth it. And then we proceeded uh, into uh, the, the concert area. And this is when Wigfield is up on stage. She was the opening act. This of Saturday Night fame. Are you familiar with the song Saturday Night by Wigfield yeah. around 95? Yeah. Yes, I am. That's all I knew about Wigfield. And we got pretty close up there because it had not really uh, packed uh, for Wigfield. And Wigfield, very smart worker. She is up there. Her set was her set list was 20 minutes. And her voice was getting a little hoarse. She's apologizing at the end. I thought it was like, man, like she plays Saturday night and then she apologizes to everyone for sounding a bit shitty tonight. So instant baby face to the entire crowd. And she got another song afterwards. Everyone was into her. And it was a great set. Did not overstate her welcome. I was like, that, that is the perfect role for Wigfield on this show. Nobody, not one person bought a ticket for Wigfield. They knew, they knew one song coming in. They knew one song coming out. But it was a fun little 20-minute set. So I thought it was a, a very strong start. But then, uh, this was genius. So not even heavily advertised was the fact that they were going to do a, a much video dance party, which if you grew up as a Canadian and are around the age of myself and way, we're 34, these used to be uh, this touring roadshow of, you know, at your school dance or something like much would maybe send a VJ. If not, it was just much music, music videos that would be. You know, all the music provided at your high school dance. I went to several of these. Uh, did you ever have any of these? I've never had one. Oh, once. okay. Well, these were these were popular for a while. It was very smart branding of much music to, you know, just, you know, play music videos and make money off these schools. So in between the sets, 
they put up like old 90s pop songs with the music videos and this place was going nuts they did a whole like like dance set they're playing they're playing mr vane they're going eiffel 65 like they were playing like your uh, return of the mac uh they played no scrubs this was so awesome there was no dead time in between sets no one wanted to leave like it was so much fun during these in between uh sets that as i'm looking at the time of when the next group's going on, I was like, just keep playing these until Aqua. I don't even need Prozac at this point. But Prozac was up next. Are you, uh, what do you know of Prozac? Um, I know. What like, do you remember of Prozac? I remember quite a few a few of their hits and their singles. I know the two guys came from this band called the Philosopher Kings. Um, and that's kind of it. Yeah, this was a group that, uh, very Canadian. And they had, they were like these animated characters, Simon and Milo. So I got to see them come to life for this uh, performance. And they had a very distinct sound. I only knew Strange Disease and Sucks to Be You. And based on this crowd, that's about what they knew as well. Uh, Prozac has actually come out with a lot of songs. And I heard most of them on Saturday night. They played, I want to say 45 minutes, which I think was maybe 20 minutes too long. Like, I got to hear the whole catalog of mm. Prozac. I mean, they, they were fine. They started off really hot and ended pretty strong as well. In between, like, it just was such a contrast when you went from, they started with Strange Disease, everyone's into that, and then they slowly got into, like, they have new stuff as well. Like, Prozac is still putting out, like, over the last five years has been putting music out. Anyway, so we got, like, 45 minutes of them. It was fine, though. It was still, like, a fun vibe. And I can't say enough about this crowd. Like, there were no... Usually, you go to a concert, there's at least, like, five fights that break out. There's always, like, some asshole. There was none of that. These were the happiest people on Earth that had converged at Echo Beach on Saturday night. And everyone was just having, like, the greatest time. There was nothing. Nothing I can complain about. Yeah, I don't know if I've heard of many uh, fights break out at Aqua shows. Hey, you'd be surprised. There was a cross-section of people. There were, there were kids there. I mean, it was generally our age group that was uh, making up the uh, the majority of people here. I was next to this one dude who was, I don't know if he was there with anyone, but he's just dancing away. During Wigfield, he's doing like the Macarena, and he's wearing a Bailey t-shirt that I told you about. Mm-hmm. You texted me this, yes. Just an amazing visual here, a Bailey buddy uh, that made its way to uh, Aqua. So Prozac plays. I mean, I I thought they were fine. I enjoyed hearing them live, but 45 minutes was kind of pushing it. Nonetheless, I digress. Then they go into part two of the Much Music video dance party. Uh, this was, it, it was very smart. They didn't play a lot of like upbeat music. This was more kind of like an R&B uh, session. And then... They would just tease the crowd like they turned all the lights out and everyone's going nuts and boom, they just play another music video like everyone is on edge waiting for Aqua. They changed the drum set so that you, you got the big Aqua logo on the on the main drum and then Aqua comes out and dude, this place lost their mind. They lost their collective minds. Yeah, like wow. dude, the atmosphere for this was so cool. And these people went crazy. Dude, uh, Lene, who is the the main uh, singer for Aqua, 
this woman is in outstanding shape. I don't know how old she is, but she like looked fantastic and she sounded fantastic. Renee can't, comes out in an Austin Matthews Toronto Maple Leafs jersey, like unbelievable uh, just endearment to this crowd. And then he changed halfway to a, uh, you won't believe it way, a Wayne Gretzky jersey. What team? A Team Canada jersey. Oh, I guess he didn't want to offend anyone. He didn't want to wear like a Edmonton Oilers and risk it or uh, dare I say a Kings or Rangers or Blues jersey. So, I mean, this guy knew what country he was in. And these two, and, and Soren, let's give a shout out to Soren. Uh, man, they just seemed several times like they were just blown away. There was a point where they start playing Dr. Jones and he just puts the mic out. And the crowd, they would have done the entire damn song if he had left this microphone out. They're just going. They've got every lyric. And he's just amazed. Like, all these people know all our lyrics. We haven't done a thing since 2001. And that, and that was it. They, they structured their playlist, I thought, very well. They do, like, a big, like, upbeat, happy song. Then they go kind of a somber or, or more low-key uh, song. They had some technical issues, but they soldiered through those. It was just a, a great concert. Do you want to guess? Do you want to guess what they started with and what they ended with, Way? I'm going to guess they started with, um, I don't know, uh, Dr. Jones? They didn't start with Dr. Jones. We had a big discussion about this before the set. It was like, what are they going to start with? And my friend Paul, he was, he was very smart. He thought they have to go with Happy Boys and Girls because that is track one on their first album. I was like, that's a great starter, and that makes a lot of sense. And they ended up playing that second, and they started off with My Oh My. That was their first one. And I really like this. They put Barbie Girl on in the middle, and I was so glad that they didn't close with Barbie Girl. So I'm not the biggest fan of Barbie Girl. That's the song that everybody goes to, and I would would venture to guess that is their... Uh, Mick Foley, Hell in a Cell match. That That's the one everyone talks about, but they're happy with a lot of their other hits. And they've got much better ones, too. So I kind of like that they just threw that one out in the middle, and then you're playing a guessing game of what they're going to end with. And they ended it with uh, uh, Roses Are Red, which is not like a massive song of theirs, but was tremendous live. And by the end of it, like they went through all their hits that you knew there was no encore coming at the end because they had gone through everything. We had sat through the V-Trigger. We had sat through Kreutzrath, every Snapdragon, and we had seen the One-Winged Angel. There was nothing left. And they, they only played an hour. It was uh, There's a curfew at Echo Beach. They got to be out by 11, and everyone just realized the concert's over. They turned around. We all just proceeded out. It was like the most orderly exit of 5,000 people you're going to ever see in downtown Toronto. And that was, a, that, was a, that was the Aqua concert way. Wow. Fantastic. I'm really glad it, uh, it seemed to really exceed your expectations, your very high expectations. It was very fun to watch live. I was not going to not enjoy this show unless it was a complete disaster. It didn't sound like it was at all. It sounded like you were in a, in a, in a whole... Th- area with with very like-minded people so i'm very happy for you yeah i was stunned that many people were all into this concert i i could see them trying these these kind of 90s nostalgia shows but i don't know how many groups out there you could headline to this degree with aqua is such a weird group that just kind of hit the zeitgeist at the exact perfect time 
that I don't know how many other groups you could have out there that would be reasonable that you could get on one of these nostalgia tours. Like, I don't see NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys doing one of these. What do you mean they have? Uh, not to this degree. Like, doing a, doing a much video dance party with a bunch of other 90s groups. Um, well, I know they've done reunion tours. I don't know about NSYNC. I know Backstreet Boys and, like, uh, New Kids did one a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and the Spice Girls have... I can see like solo groups. I'm I'm talking about this like a packaged like '90s deal like this where I don't know. I, I don't I don't see the Spice Girls coming to Echo Beach and doing a show with like I, I don't know uh, Bewitched. Oh uh, um yeah yeah. But how was your weekend? Uh, not as eventful as yours, really. I think I was just kind of nursing this cold. And that's about it. Oh, that's unfortunate. I then watched a fantastic UFC event as well. It was a very good UFC card this weekend from Dallas. Did you hear about any of it? I did. Yeah, I listened to some of your review. I kind of followed a, a bit of what was going on with some of the drama with the, the weight cutting issues. And uh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Nico Montano, she showed up at the beginning of the week. Apparently, she was 144 pounds at the beginning of the week and had to cut down to 125. And then the day of the weigh-ins, she had to be taken to the hospital and they were uh, concerned she was going to have kidney problems and uh, a lot of issues. Like her body was shutting down. She was not able to complete her weight cut. And so she's out of the fight. And then they make the the bold move to strip her of her title. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with this? Um, I I would have waited. I think to see the extent of of maybe um you know what her what her condition was. It sounds like it was just a bad weight cut. And it sounds like she'd be able to recover, but I, I mean, I wonder if there was any other kind of grievances they, that they had with her. Oh, there had to this. have been. Like, this is, I don't know. To me, it's, I, I'm just turned off by just the, the level of a double standard that this is. Like, this would not happen to, this hasn't happened to any other champion when you had Max Holloway, who had to be rushed to the hospital uh, before, interna- during International Fight Week in July. Like, this is just, we don't see Nico Montano as a star. And they're annoyed she hasn't fought yet since winning this title in December. And we're going to strip her of this title. And now we're going to put it on to another. She's not even going to be fighting for this title. It's mm. just it's just the, the latest chapter of making these titles mean nothing. Completely nothing. Mm. And, and you wonder why these divisions can't draw. And it's just, it's not even fair to whoever has to fight for this title. That you have it under such bizarre circumstances. I don't know. It's just, and I think it sets an awful precedent for the next time a fighter's cutting weight and their body may be legitimately shutting down and they're going to have this in the back of their mind that, man, if I, if I pull out of this, I could lose my job. I could be stripped of a title if I'm a champion. Like, that's not the message you want to be sending to these fighters, that some of them are knocking on the door of death as they are cutting weight. Well, I mean, I don't think it, it, the UFC seem, really seems like a company lately that, that cares too much about the messages that it sends to its, mm, mm, I don't know, uh, staff. It, it just seems like, as we've talked about in the past, that title really is just kind of a, a way to underline or, or uh, I don't know, um, add some garnish to, to your posters. Uh, so I'm sure that's, you know, their only concern or main concern, at least. What else is in the news? Uh, well... 
They announced on Monday, which this will be reflected on Raw, Jonathan Coachman is off the Raw commentary team. He is being moved over to host the kickoff shows on the monthly pay-per-views. Renee Young is now a permanent member of the Raw commentary team. That, I think you, you said last week, like this has to be the change they make, and they've made it. This was the right call to make. I don't, uh, amazingly, I did hear from Jonathan Coachman supporters today on Twitter when I put this out, but they were f- not overwhelming. What were they saying? I'm curious. Uh, just that um, it was uh, kind a of a travesty. Of like, this was terrible. <laughs> Coach was perfect for the job. Well, some some were just saying they weren't as big fans of Renee, not oh. thinking she's, she's all that great, which, listen, I, I don't think Renee is the, the greatest. Uh, she, she has only been doing this consistently during this stretch. I mean, you have to go back years to when she was doing this in NXT. Um, she doesn't stand out to me like she's this incredible um, broadcaster that they have, but I think she is going to grow into that role a lot better than, like, Coachman, we saw this experiment. I did not need Jonathan Coachman on this announced team, so I think this was absolutely the right move. I'm really happy about it, not just because I think we're finally done with to me, I feel like of of, of uh, I don't that know. tone that was, you know, completely gone on tonight's show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of Coach, and maybe who knows? Like, Renee still has room to screw up. I mean, you know, we. I feel like she's kind of been yet to be really tested in the role, so we'll still see. It's still an ongoing experiment, but I, at least in the first week, I can already say that it's already been better than Coach's first week. So, um, it's also, I think, a good sign that. It feels like the company it might still actually be listening to its audience in some ways in in, in, in making a change like this. So I, I'm kind of happy about that, too. Yeah, I also look at it that, you know, Michael Cole is the one that, you know, works hands on with these announcers and is often uh, either producing them or like he is the, the senior commentator that these people report to. And. You know, Jonathan Coachman, this is his second go-around with the company. He wasn't really brought up with Michael Cole, whereas Renee Young, Corey Graves, Mauro Ranallo, like those are Michael Cole's people. And I think that Michael Cole has, I, I would speculate, has a more vested interest in those two, in Graves and Renee, that he's kind of helped from the ground up. And I'm certain played a mentor role too that I wouldn't imagine he would have the same kind of relationship with Coachman as those two were more peers at the same time period in the WWE in the early 2000s uh, that I just think that you're not going to necessarily see Cole um, cutting off Renee and just them you know jumping on her for instance if there was some some glaring mistake for instance like they would Coachman who just became the punching bag yeah what else is going on today uh, in the news? We also have uh, the NWA. They're going to be running their 70th anniversary card Sunday, October the 21st in Nashville. And the main event is going to be the rematch from All In. Cody will defend the NWA championship against Nick Aldis, who defeated Doug Williams over the weekend at the Wrestling MediaCon event. This event is going to be on Fight TV. And I would say that a month ago, way I wouldn't have been too... Uh, high on this show, having a whole lot of traction among people. How much has All In kind of um, put a spotlight on the NWA and how they're going to build up this rematch over the next six weeks? A huge deal. Great, great, great deal. I mean, I don't think, think we would even be talking about it on this show 
uh, if it wasn't for, I think, the uh, Aldis-Cody feud that led up to one of the, what many consider to be the best match of all in. Um, I think it's incredibly smart to do the rematch right now, and I'm sure it was part of the whole planning. Um, and, I mean, I'll certainly be, be looking out for it. Uh, I think, I mean, I, I wonder if this is sort of the end of the program and Cody just drops it back to Aldis, uh, considering, you know, who the bo- both guys are kind of signed with. But uh, I think if if I was the NWA, I'd want to keep this going as long as I possibly could. And even if I'm Cody, I'd want this going as as long as I possibly could. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting what atmosphere they can create. This is going to be in Nashville. I believe it's at the fairgrounds. You know, it's a far cry from 11,000 people at the Sears Center. Um, but it's it you would think it's going to be. I have no doubt it's going to be a really solid build that they're going to do, much like the first match. So I think the atmosphere is going to be interesting because that was such a big part of that first match, that coming back with it, you want to be able to... I don't think you can replicate that atmosphere, so you might want to do something totally different as well. So I'm kind of curious the the approach that they take to this rematch. I really just want to know, I think, the storyline points that they're they're trying to tell. I mean, last time I think it was so much about... Cody trying to live up to his father's legacy while at the same time it was like Nick Aldis wanting to uh do this for his his family his daughter um and I've one I I wonder like what kind of twist they'll kind of put into it this is now maybe perhaps Aldis kind of looking for redemption what is Cody trying to prove this time around why does he need to defend this does he have anything to gain from it I'm sure he does but I look forward to seeing how uh, you know those two and, and David Lagana and Lightning One and Billy Corgan tell that story Maybe Nick Aldis's son is going to turn, and uh, or he'll show up and cost Cody the match. Um, how old is he? Uh, he's an infant. Yeah, probably not. So this Sunday is Hell in a Cell. Uh, Tuesday night we'll probably go through the card after our SmackDown review. But on the WWE Network schedule way, this show is scheduled to end at ten thirty p.m. How long will it go past ten thirty p.m.? Oh, I'm guessing it'll end before... If it's scheduled for 10.30, I can see it going maybe like 20 minutes. 20, 25 minutes, probably. It's not a crazy amount of matches that they've announced so far. I guess they can always add more. It's I think it's about eight matches that they have announced so far. You would figure the two Hell in a Cells are going to go lengthy. Mm-hmm. But if they're starting at 7, like three and a half hours, they should be able to get through all of this. I don't know if this is going to be some crazy marathon show this should not be one of their crazy marathon shows i think the wwe could really use you know a shorter show that you're left where you're happy and you want more at the end as opposed to being just completely run down by the end of the this you know four or five hour marathon show that they are often putting out i could see them putting something unannounced there from either of the rosters I think they have to kind of consider not just the people at home, but the people paying a ticket to be there live too. Uh, and, you know, it's, I, I know what you're saying. I think I'm one of those people who certainly doesn't want to have to sit through all of that. But I feel like sometimes for the people that pay that, that ticket price, especially for a pay-per-view, that, that's probably higher priced. I, I get the sense that they want to deliver higher, more value in the form of more content. Well, I mean, the way that the, you know, the metrics that are, most advantageous to the WWE is number of hours consumed. And that's Mm -hmm. a big reason why they are putting on these lengthy shows. I mean, even this setup for Sunday, if they're on time, that's three and a half hours of the main show tack on the kickoff. 
you're still asking your viewers at home to sit down for four and a half hours. Yeah. Which yep. now that Jonathan Coachman is anchoring that first hour, I mean, count, count you know, myself in. I think Coach would do a way better job. Like, I think he's way better suited to lead a panel like that than he is trying to play a third man in a color commentator role. So I'm, I'm interested to see how, the, how he does on the panel show and kind of how that is. I believe he's with Booker, David Otunga, and then you have Sam Roberts and Peter Rosenberg that are in there as well. So we will see. Uh, final thing here for SmackDown on Tuesday night. They pretty much have uh, the whole show announced. We've got Shinsuke Nakamura versus Jeff Hardy on Tuesday night. Charlotte Flair against Sonya Deville. The finals of this tag tournament with Rusev and English against Cesaro and Sheamus. Brie Bella against Maurice. R-Truth against Andrade Cien Almas. And then 205 Live has Buddy Murphy against Grand Metalik and Cedric Alexander and Akira Tozawa against Drew Gulak and Jack Gallagher. That's a lot of matches for SmackDown. Yeah, wow. Okay, anyway. cool. Oh, and also the CMLL anniversary show is going to be airing on Honor Club if you are a subscriber. So that that's kind of interesting. I'm going to try and watch that this weekend. So that is airing uh, Spanish commentary only. But uh, it's always... You know, a really cool atmosphere for the anniversary show. So you at least have that going as well. So that is coming up on Friday. But first, let us go to Raw from Monday night. New Orleans, Louisiana, the Smoothie King Center, the home city of WrestleMania from this past year. And Michael Cole starts off the show by stating we are making history tonight. History is being made, way. Because up until now, we have only had a part-time female on the Raw broadcast team. Now we have a full-time woman on the Raw broadcast team as she, as Renee Young is uh, permanently introduced to us. She has earned her seat at this Raw table in perpetuity. Mm-hmm, yeah. Historical, history-making. I think, you know, that's always kind of part of uh, uh, what you'll hear anytime something uh, a woman first starts doing anything within the WWE I feel like everything kind of has to be part of this, like, um, I don't know, grand uh, movement. Um, it gets a little bit nauseating, but they certainly weren't, you know, pushing it that hard as it relates to this. No, on the WWE scale, this came in at like a one. Mm-hmm. We had the Kings of the Jungle coming out. Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, and Braun Strowman, who it appears that my... My favorite title for these three is not going to be the name they go with, and they have a, a unbelievably worse one. They are joined by the Raw Heels that all helped them with the attack last week. Kevin Owens, Jinder Mahal, the Authors of Pain, Drew Gulak, Elias, Sunil Singh, The Ascension, and Mike Kanellis. All the guys you want to have behind you for a big, big attack. Um, I didn't know Kanellis was the heel. I didn't either, but now we know. Uh, We also got a brief uh, explanation by Kevin Owens later in this show why all of a sudden he was helping Braun Strowman. Mm -hmm. Ziggler said, we told you so, as they take credit for the Shield beatdown. And as Drew predicted, we feasted on their bloody carcasses. And we get a big review of their attack from last week. Braun says that Roman has the hounds of justice. He's got... The dogs of war. Oof, oof. Ooh, and this was confirmed 
as the name because Corey Graves repeated this, and we heard this several times. The Dogs of War. The Dogs of War. Yeah. Hey, uh, wait, who's who's wrestling tonight? Oh, it's uh, it's the Hounds of Justice against the Dogs of War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it could be worse, John. Could be. Worse. I l- I preferred the Kings of the Jungle myself. I mean, I either or. Well, Ziggler says that these guys stood up for themselves. The balance of power has shifted. And tonight in their rematch with the B team, who are owed a rematch for the tag titles, they are going to dismantle and dismember the B team. And Braun says Roman's going to get these hands inside Hell in a Cell. And then the Shield's music plays. And back from the dead are Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, and Seth Rollins, who walk out through the crowd. Unbelievable. They made a bigger recovery than you and I over the last week. Um, on the scale of beatdowns, I mean, I think it was hardly the type of beatdown where I expected them to be away for a week. You know, I didn't either, but they were left like they were Lame. grabbed and dragged le- on top of each other. That was our final shot last week mm-hmm. and not nothing. A week's a long time to recover. I guess they're they're in their primes. Yeah. So they come down. Um, Seth Rollins, uh, you know, he was really trying to get this over though because uh, he he showed a little rustiness in this giant dive over the barricade onto all of the guys. And Ambrose, the smart worker here, he's got a bag containing axe handles. Yeah, axe I don't. Handles. I don't. Do you think he got these as as is, or do you think he? manually took off the blades at the end of them because I don't I didn't know you could buy these without like an axe like what do you use an axe handle if not for an axe I have no idea um I certainly found it a bit of an odd choice of weapon I mean they're just handles it's like grabbing a sword but like only the shaft so um visually I don't find them to be such great like I would have just brought baseball bats you know or kendo sticks Something that feels like a complete weapon. This felt like it was like 20% of a weapon. I don't know what it is, but for the longest time, like I know, I know everyone would complain about the camera cuts for the shield. And for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. It never was a big deal to me, but it's, it's way worse once you start noticing it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because now I can't not notice it. And it's so difficult Mm -hmm. it's just crazy it's so crazy because all i'm hearing is like a guy yelling cut and before the words even out of his mouth he's getting ready to say it again oh it's not just the cuts but it's it's like the shakiness and we're like tilting to the side Mm -hmm. it was just i i have to like look down now it's just become horrendous i feel your pain now well so yeah so if you haven't noticed it yet do not even try (laughs) save yourselves they cleared the ring. The dogs of war, which is all I will refer to them as from now on, just stood on the ramp and Corey Graves repeated their name. It is cemented in history. Yeah, dogs of war, hounds of justice. They all sound like Vinceisms. Um, and, you know, for better or worse, I think Vince has come up with some great Vinceisms in the past. But uh, dogs of war, I don't I don't know if they're they're going to be uh, around for that long. They're going to have a dog-eat-dog street fight for the first time ever. 
The man loves like dog metaphors. He loves calling human beings dogs. He used, he tried to get that uh, pit bull thing over with AJ. That's right. That was his go-to with AJ, yeah. the pit bull. As far as I know, he doesn't have a dog. Uh, I could be very wrong. I just wouldn't know how he would who would take care of it with with him being on the road for for as long as he does. But clearly, uh, I I'm assuming he's a dog lover. Either that, or he really wants humans turned into dogs. <sighs> Are you ready for this way? We had quite the crime committed backstage. The Bella Twins are on their YouTube channel. Bree documented all of this. They walked into their private locker room, which can I just stay, say for the aesthetics here. This was the least convincing locker room setup I have seen. Like we had some blue, like a natural blue wall with like this white, these white boards that it looked like they had just put up to convey a room. It looked more like an office. Well, after this, uh, this heinous, heinous uh, crime that was committed, I, I can't even say this was a uh, a riot had ensued. This was like a lightly disorganized room. We had a table turned over away. Bree mode was written on the wall, but it had been scratched out. Are you ready for this? I know that a lot of uh, parents listen to this show sometimes. This could be playing in a classroom. Please have all the children cover their ears. Instead of Bree mode, it read riot mode. And then it said fearless Nikki. They scratched out the less of fearless and wrote more, fear more Nikki, which sounds like closer to a good tagline for Nikki than an insult. Fear more Nikki. Oh, and a table and chair were turned over. And Nikki, <laughs> in all of her disgust, could only bring herself to read one word to describe this scene. Unreal. As Bree shot this in selfie mode. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was... I, I think it really continues the trend of, of this Riot Squad having just the the least intimidating, lamest uh, forms of rioting. They were closer to an Aqua crowd than they were a Riot Squad. I, uh, like, these people would have been me? no problem. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, let me get this straight. Somebody had to write... Uh, Brie mode first in order with for them extraordinary to penmanship yeah. mind you like these were block letters like perfectly aligned like i feel they had a stencil for the lettering i'm guessing one of them has the job of writing it and the other job uh, other one has the job of crossing it out uh because like they would have somebody wrote they color coordinated the words <laughs> yeah <laughs> what in what world and what kind of like graffiti in any world would you see this occur by like the same people yeah, often in, in, with graffiti, with writing, whatever, like you'll see somebody cross out something that's already existed. But now I'm being led to believe that this fearless Nikki in this pre mode was already written in this room. Yeah. Like, and that can't be. Yeah, like the, the Bellas like tag their locker room before they leave. Yeah, it was just really bad. And I'll tell you the acting I thought from the Bellas was really bad too, like... Uh, Unreal. Yeah, Breeze just didn't even look upset. 
It it was it was very lame. The shield were with a bunch of indie police. Baron Corbin got in between and he was explaining we don't need the police, but you have to put your weapons down or you could be arrested for a long time. The shield could go away for years. He said that the shield has to vacate the premises. The shield has to vacate the premises or else because if they don't Rollins and Roman Reigns will forfeit their singles titles. And he repeats that all three will go to jail for a very long time. And Reigns stared down just, a cop. This, this show sounds like it's written by somebody who's six. If you don't do this, you're going to, I'm you're going to go to jail. Like this is the type of threat that I think a, a six year old would make on the playground. If they were playing like cops and robbers. Well, we've established after last week and this week that the shield are clearly in with a bunch of dirty cops around the country. Mm, yeah. That was the takeaway. Reigns just stared down this cop and they dropped their weapons, their axe handles, and left. Mm-hmm. First match of the night, Ruby Riot versus Nikki Bella. A a rivalry for the ages as Fear More Nikki tried to restore Fearless Nikki. Riot swept the leg for a trip, and then Nikki speared her as she came off the ropes. Ruby then kicked the rope into the throat of Nikki, allowing them to go through a commercial. Ruby's working the neck with a cravat. Nikki got out. The audience got behind her for the comeback, hit a reverse enziguri off the second turnbuckle. She went for the Rack Attack 2.0, but Sarah Logan got on the apron to, for a distraction. This allowed Riot to hit a flatliner, and then she's controlling the wrist of Nikki. The Riot kick gets countered. Nikki again goes for the rack attack. This time, Liv Morgan tries to interfere, but Bree stops her, and the rack attack is hit. Nikki wins, and then after, first of all, let me let me get out the positive. Uh, th- this was uh, this was Flair Steamboat in comparison to last week's uh, Bella's tag match, in in my estimation, I, I thought a fine match. I thought so too. Yeah, yeah, I think you know it's it's so strange in that like backstage, I think Nikki Bella is just such a ineffective baby face. But I think in ring, in these two performances at least, she's she's felt like she's somebody who's able to engage this audience, uh, in particular her audience who seems to always like react. And, uh, and and I thought Nikki showed pretty good fire and she works hard. And then Nikki got her heat back for this locker room uh, attack or on their, their dressing room. Nikki stood on the apron as the riot squad retreated and she put up... The L sign with her hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Wow. This was a... Uh, yeah. She she would have fit in perfectly on Saturday. Well, yeah, I know. She is our age. Uh, so I don't I don't think kids are really doing that often these days. That type of thing kind of kind of shows your age, I guess. Loser. Yeah. Then we had the uh, the Connors Cure segment. Uh, they aired a video on these children that are battling cancer. And then Big Show was out uh, in his gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to look like the Big Show. I, I guess. guess. I I mean, this was, you know, like like PR or not, whatever. The reactions in, in this video and the reactions on this children are just are incredibly genuine. So they they went all the way out to, like, make Titan Trons for these guys. They had custom gear. And I think Big Show is really perfect for this role. So He's very good. Yeah. Very good. The, these kids uh, seem to be having a great time doing this. They introduced all of them by their character names. 
And one that people were pointing out was Braden the Punisher that was wearing a shirt with the the sign for like breast cancer awareness with an like an X through it. Did you see this? I did see it. And on Reddit, people were saying that this was him trying to sneak in a critique of like Susan G. Coleman or something. I mean, it's very possible, but I, I just took it to... We should explain, too, for people that are not watching. Like, this was generally, like, small children, but this Braden the Punisher looked to be, like, 16. a teenager. He was, he's 16. Yeah. 16? Okay. Yeah. So it's just like a big X across uh, a pink ribbon, basically. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I just... I thought... I took it to mean him saying no to cancer. No to like, cancer. That That's what I thought of immediately, but it is, you know, the sign for, like, the ribbon. And not, uh, you know, anyway, I don't know. So he's saying don't support breast cancer or he's, I mean, obviously he's not saying that. Like, I, I, I feel like as a whole, we're giving him too much credit. Like I, and I'm sure like the WWE saw this and just took it to mean he's saying no to cancer with, with the, the ribbon kind of being the closest thing to physically symbolize cancer or, or, or metaphorically symbolize cancer. But I, I, we'll hear from him, I guess, in the days ahead, perhaps. Oh, man. Braden the Punisher. We'll have to, I guess, uh, set the record straight. We had a shot of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome as Michael Cole transitions. That that was the site of WrestleMania, and we have a match of WrestleMania proportions, not this Sunday at the pay-per-view, but in four weeks between Triple H and The Undertaker as they aired a video package on last week's segment involving Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. And this video... Totally pushed Shawn Michaels coming back for another match. And then we end it with the graphic Undertaker versus Triple H last time ever at Super Showdown. Yeah, unlike last week's, like, you know, 10-second recap, this week they went full into recapping the Shawn comeback for, uh, portions of that segment. It, Triple H was a total afterthought of this video package. The closing shot was on Shawn contemplating, you know, essentially contemplating a comeback. So... I see this, and I'm I'm now pretty convinced that Sean is coming back. It's, you know, I, I think that last week's segment, it definitely shifted the focus to a Shawn Michaels match. And I think that's going to be the appeal of this match, that Shawn Michaels has said he's going to be at that match. And the interest for people is going to be, do they shoot an angle to set up Michaels coming back? Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of becomes the big thing here. Now... You know, a lot of people are looking at this as, um, you know, it's it's been reported, the idea of him wrestling in Saudi Arabia, um, which I think if that's happening, then that has to be airing on the WWE Network. I know there's been some discussion. Is this going to air? Is this not going to air? But to me, like you are pushing this on television. And if that's the show he's coming back for, that can't just be a live event. Yeah. So. Anyway, I, I think in a weird way that it does kind of um, add some intrigue to the Super Showdown just because of what Shawn Michaels' role in that match is going to be and coming out of it, if, you, if you're going to shoot an angle at that show uh, to set up the, the match definitively, one way or another. If he's involved, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he said he's going to be there. So yeah, okay. whether that means ringside, whether that means as a referee, I think he has to get involved in some way. Or even if it's at the end, he makes the challenge or something like that. Drake Maverick is with the Authors of Pain. He's giving them a pep talk backstage, and he was in like a black tank top this week and not the full-out Authors of Pain gear. Thank goodness. You know, again, uh, I think 
he probably didn't stop hearing about it on on Twitter about how how kind of goofy the guy looked. But I, I I would still prefer him in like a nice suit or something that looks a bit more natural on him. He's still got the I think the army fatigue baggy pants, which still looks a little goofy on him. But you know maybe week by week we'll start showing that. What he does on Monday nights is of no one's concern. That was his explanation on 205 Live. (laughs) (laughs) What I do on Monday nights is my business. So it's two dual personalities that we're dealing with between nights. It is uh, Brie Bella times 10. So the authors of Pain took on Ronnie Ace and Nathan Bradley. One thing we have not discussed is that their booking of job guys, they've gotten really fun with these people that they put in these roles like they have some character to them that they stand out and these guys um it was a it was a more visual gag than anything these two guys that looked to weigh a combined 100 pounds with these i mean one dude was just so pale yeah i feel like people like this aren't that hard to find in any given (laughs) local indie uh no but i feel james ellsworth has started a trend for them that they are trying to find guys that are at least going to leave some kind of impression on the audience. Did you get, like, Nathan Bradley, where that name might have come from? Nathan Bradley. Um, no. Why? Well, because Ronnie Ace, obviously. But... Yeah, that that one made, the, of course, the Johnny Ace reference. Uh, Nathan Bradley uh, hmm. doesn't, uh, doesn't jump out at me as a joke on anybody. Uh Ace gets dumped onto the turnbuckle, and then Akam kills Bradley on the floor. Uh, super Collider, Razor pins him in a minute 23. Pretty entertaining squash. You know, I think they're very good at it. Um, looks like the group is starting to pick up some attention. I think next week I really want to see Maverick cut an amazing promo for these two. I was kind of expecting it this week, but I think, uh, you know, um, at least next week, I want to start seeing these guys in a program. Who do you put them in a program with? It's kind of a weird division now because yeah. you have the tag titles are on a heel team uh, and B team squash them. I guess. Sure. I don't know if you can get much of a program out of that. That feels like a one off. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a start. You also have uh, Rude and, and Gable that are kind of warming up, but it seems like, uh, yeah, maybe that one uh, down the line. Oh, God. Maybe the, they'll come up with a segment where the author's have prepared a fable about oh. Gable. Oh my God. Throughout the night, the Raw team was throwing to SmackDown video packages. We got ones for Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton, for Samoa Joe and AJ Styles. So uh, it just it kind of just feels like the brand split is kind of just slowly dissipating. Well, I mean, I think it still very much exists in that, like, the talent doesn't often cross over. Okay. Often. <laughs> we're, we're, we're starting to go down a You're path right. now where I don't think they have those same kind of hard and fast rules about True. who's on what shows. Bree, like the, the Bree thing I think really needs to be explained. Like just to just shoot a segment saying she's got some special autonomy or like she's Daniel Bryan's special guest because Daniel Bryan is, is, you know, former GM. She's he put a special contract in there for Bree. Just just stone and that, Doesn't that say it all the way that I mean, you just came up with like three ideas off the top of your head that I don't think they even feel the need to like with Drake Maverick. It's like they didn't even have a reason for it. It's just, well, he is Drake isn't <clears throat> Smackdown, though. Yeah, but he's on another show. I guess. Sure. Yeah, same with Leo Rush. Yeah. Anyway, Triple H comes out, 
and he mentions all the picks that the legends were making, and he pulled up this poll where 81% of people surveyed have chosen The Undertaker to win, and Hunter just laughs us off. Ah, these stupid polls. They don't mean anything. So he was very surprised that when Shawn Michaels made his pick, it bothered The Undertaker so much. It's laughable. And Taker responded by making threats. And Hunter thought that Taker had lost respect for him and Sean, but instead he realized Undertaker's lost respect for himself. He couldn't even show up tonight to tell him that to his face. And Hunter says Taker was never the same after the matches they had with him and Sean. And then the real the real kicker was that war he went through with CM Punk that just <laughs> softened him up for the next year uh, in this very city against Brock Lesnar. It was uh it was punk. That was the you know his last moment of glory. And then the mystique and aura went away. Now he's just a reputation, and he blames us for the demise, that being Hunter and Sean, and now he's gonna put him down for good. You know, I wish you could have dubbed over Triple H's promo, because I thought you did a way better job of being doing <laughs> of, of delivering his message in a concise form. I, I mean, didn't think it was very like the logic of this was left a lot to be desired. I was what like I trying to too. like, yeah, you know, to me, this was just another kind of rambling triple H promo where, you know, everything on the surface that he's saying sounds really nice. He's got a great delivery. He talks um, great. His delivery yeah. is great that it overcomes. Like if you're actually like writing it down and like he they have their last anything, he's, <laughs> he's not saying anything. You start to the, act... anyway, the yes. story here. Okay. They had their end of the era match. That was in 2012. Since that time, Taker's streak has ended, but he's won plenty of matches at WrestleMania since. He won this year against John Cena, and it was somehow, I don't know. It's like the story of this all. Talking about like losing respect and, and, and man, just, I thought you did a way better job, quite frankly, <laughs> you know, whatever. I'll say so that like, was it. That was the promo. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this, the segment again, certainly didn't do enough to make me to sway my attention away from this potential Taker Sean match. Like I'm I'm just kind of looking at that now and and really still like it's having the effect of making this just look like a preliminary match. Yeah, and you know they have the next month that like this is seems to be the game plan is just we're just going to do promos building this up. Um yeah, which, and how which you kind of which is fine. Yeah, I mean yeah. they're taking something that is you know, on on paper, I don't think this jumped off the page at people, and they're trying to build this through promos. I thought last week's segment, it was a great segment. It just wasn't really building this match. It was building another match. Um, Hunter's weeks. first promo, the one after SummerSlam, was a very good promo. Four more weeks, though. That's a lot of time to fill, I think, with one match. You know, they, Yeah, this they, is until October 6th is this show. In total, yeah. they would have had, what, like seven weeks to build this thing up? That's a long time. Yeah. The cops are outside on the lookout if the shield returns. And then Dolph and Drew took on the B team, the rematch for the Raw tag titles. Axel and Dallas were stomping Ziggler in the corner as the audience chanted B team, B team, go, go, go. Drew distracted, and this allowed Ziggler to super kick Axel, went through a commercial. Ziggler kicked Axel upside down into an inverted Alabama slam by Drew. Then Dallas comes in, he goes for an inside cradle, Drew saves, and then Ziggler gouges him in the eyes and we do the claymore zigzag combination with drew pinning Bo Dallas, and that seems to be the end of the b team in the championship picture 
for the most part, I found the match pretty boring. Uh, I think it's just the. I just don't think the team's that good. So you know, the B team, yeah, they're really. <laughs> they are really. I think living up to their name, they're not supposed to be that good. I get it. But even as baby faces, I I just I see the crowd checking out now. Um, you know, I think about whether or not an Authors of Pain feud, you know, with the two of these guys against, I think, very dominant monsters in those two, if that would kind of help the B team. And I'm not even so sure. I just don't even know if the crowd cares that much. I think everyone knew that this was going to be a short-term thing. And I, I don't even think the B team ever hit the level that even Heath Slater and Rhino did, mm-hmm. where there was a serious, you know, two months that they were... You know, a notable part of the show. I don't think the B team ever reached that level. And now it feels they're on the decline unless they come up with some great idea for them beyond this, which, you know, their comedy, it's it's not like it was so great that it overcame. I thought it was bad. Their placement. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think they had one week of doing the Matt Hardy Bray Wyatt stuff that was amusing. And they ran that into the ground. It's just, you know, the comedy is not such that it, you know, was going to be able to to carry these guys for much longer. And it feels like their shelf life is up. Mm-hmm. Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose then showed up. These cops really sucked outside. They attacked. Drew goes to the floor. And then they set up for the stomp. But Ziggler's pulled to the floor to safety. And the announcers are questioning if Baron is now going to strip Rollins and Roman of their titles. Michael Cole then, Cole then teed up the footage that was going to be played next that he called extremely uncomfortable. And we got a big video package on the King of the Ring 1998 with old comments from past numerous DVD projects. We heard from Lawler, from Jericho, Kofi Kingston, Jim Ross, Mark Henry, DDP, Terry Funk, Shawn Michaels. We got a cameo from Jimmy Corderas here in this video package. And uh, do you want to tell the people, Way, about... uh, our rewatch of this match coming up this week. Yeah, those of you who are uh, double-double level patrons of the Post Wrestling Cafe, that's the $12 and up uh, pledge group. Uh, you know, you'll know that we do uh, videos every single week. And uh, last month, we did a, a kind of a live commentary watch-along of uh, Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi right before their uh, rematch at Wrestle Kingdom. So this week, we were hoping to do one again, um, and we decided to do this match, Hell in a Cell. The, the Mick Foley versus uh, Undertaker from King of the Ring 1998. So you can uh, watch out for probably Friday and you can watch along with us before you watch Hell in a Cell on Sunday and then the Mick Foley special. Mm-hmm. So this was a uh, yeah, pretty big feature that they did here on this King of the Ring match from 20 years ago. And then Kevin Owens comes out and Michael Cole said, well, we had thought Kevin Owens had quit. But he returned last week. And then we go to a a commercial and we come back. Baron Corbin is in the back with Rollins and Ambrose. Rollins said the shield never came back. We're just Rollins and Ambrose. And Corbin is upset about the semantics that they're using. He wants them arrested. Rollins calls bullshit on them being arrested last week. After 25 years of insanity on this show. Meanwhile, Ziggler and McIntyre were not arrested last week, and he accuses Baron Corbin of being behind last week's attack, which I didn't know that was supposed to be a mystery. And he also brings up falsifying a police report, which is a crime. So they bring in a sheriff 
from New Orleans, and he is ready to issue an, a, warrant, a, a warrant for Barron's arrest. And he starts to read the Miranda rights, and then Corbin wants to talk to Seth in private. So we cut to outside the office, and Dean walks out with the sheriff. And we get a close-up of this guy's name tag that reads Ambrose, comma, G. And Dean is explaining to the sheriff about a speeding ticket he got and debating speeding laws in the state. Rollins comes out of the office laughing, tells the sheriff we don't need to press charges, and they walk off with Ambrose telling the sheriff he'll call him next time he's in jail. What was going on here, Way? I'm guessing the insinuation is that this is a relative of Dean Ambrose, either an uncle or some some type of or dad even. Um, you know, it wasn't. I, I would say if that was the intent, it was extremely subtle for which for a is so standard. glaring on this show. Yeah, for WWE Raw standards, that would be extremely subtle storytelling. You wouldn't have noticed this if you weren't looking for it, this name tag. And I thought Ambrose's dialogue. It, on the surface, just kind of left you a little bit confused. But, I mean, if it does kind of write itself, and it does explain itself if you think about it that way. I kind of like the fact they didn't call attention to this, and mm. they actually, because so often, they never give any oh, faith. over the head. With yeah, they never have faith that the viewer will put two and two together. Mm. And it's just spoon-fed to you and hit over your head. Like, I was ready for Michael Cole to just scream about this for the next match. And it was never brought up. And I did kind of like that as a storytelling device that is rarely, if ever, used. Uh, that said, I was trying to piece all of this together. That So, Corbin... See, if I that guess, was the case, though, I think I would have went with, like, a different line to end it. Like, you know, I don't know, see you at the the family reunion or something like that. Because uh, I do feel like with the with the, I think... I don't think that would be hitting over your head too much with something like this. I feel like there's a there's a fine line where you can do that, but there's also a fine line where you're just confusing a good deal of your audience, and I think they might have kind of ventured into that by going that subtle if that was indeed the intent. Well, luckily for them, all my confusion was reserved for this falsified police report from last week that Baron Corbin, like there actually was a riot here caused by the shield. He would have grounds to have these these men arrested so i don't know how we can now cross state uh borders <laughs> yes. and now he can be arrested in another state and i was confused at what corbin had even done here i mean this guy didn't himself falsify a police report nor were they bogus charges we watched the segment last week of their their attack on everybody that's where it's a little confusing in that like this show like i said kind of feels like it's using a six-year-old's <laughs> logic as it relates to the law Yet they'll do something maybe so subtle, like having a dude's name tag uh, be Ambrose. <laughs> so I didn't know what the hell to make of this. Yeah. Uh, this seemed like they spent a lot of time on this, and it still had many holes in it. So there they left with the, our, uh, our Ambrose G, who was hanging out. Then they cut to Kevin Owens, who you've totally forgotten is in the ring. He's been in and the he... ring sitting down this whole time, and he's <laughs> that, just like, that whole look on his face. That was a two-scene segment yeah. backstage that we just went through that Kevin Owens was seated on the turnbuckle. And as we cut to him, he's shaking his head in annoyance. Oh, this guy. Tyler Breeze is his opponent. Battle of Canada. 
And Owens nails Breeze off the apron, throws him into the barricade. The bell never rings. Breeze gets a super kick in, but then a Pescado misses to the floor. Owens super kicks him and power bombs him on the apron. Owens gets on the microphone. He walked away two weeks ago, but then Baron Corbin called him, begging him to reconsider as he recognizes Owens as the MVP of Raw. Owens agreed to come back under one condition, that he's not held responsible for what he does to his opponents. Maybe that was Neville's one condition. And laid, yeah, that he's not <laughs> responsible. So, okay, so that means... That yes, means in, the, the, in the very last segment, we had Seth Rollins point out that no one is ever arrested on this show for their actions. Why us? And now, Kevin Owens has carte blanche on the show. He means to tell me that, like... Normally, he can do anything. He could murder someone. But normally, all wrestlers are held accountable for for the what they do to re- to yeah. other wrestlers. I don't think I would have found this glaring. I think I don't feel I'm nitpicking because it was literally the last segment that Seth brought up how everyone runs roughshod in this place, and we are the ones that get singled out and are arrested for a meaningless little attack. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I. Be- Maybe we are thinking too much about this wrestling stuff. He has immunity. We're going to compare this to the second season of American Vandal. Okay. And we're going to see how how many holes are in those however many episodes season two is. Sure. So he's not held responsible for any of his actions. He calls Tyler Breeze an embarrassment. And he didn't do any favors for anyone last week by attacking the shield. He was just sick of them and now he can do anything. So that was his subtle way of saying he is not uh that was his explanation for helping Braun Strowman last week after the man tortured him all summer. I understand what he means. He he's just like he can attack Chad Gable like this and it doesn't matter like he won't be punished for it. I didn't even find it all that like on the surface it's ridiculous last week that he's helping this guy. But this Kevin Owens character, he's a total coward who would jump at any opportunity, like in a numbers situation like that, to attack the shield that I totally buy this guy as a hypocrite that would be uh, ready to ready to just jump if Braun Strowman asked him for a favor. Yeah. Am I giving too much leeway? Maybe. May, uh, but I mean, it's it's up to your own interpretation. I just look at Kevin Owens as like the classic bully character that he has no moral compass about anything that he would just, uh, yeah. anyway, sure. It I wasn't as glaring to me, but I appreciated the, the comment made here that they, in that case, they did go out of their way to, uh, make it make sense. Again, like it's up to your own interpretation. If you're satisfied <laughs> with this explanation to many people, it wouldn't be. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Owens himself found, found fault in, in his own action. So I think something sneaking this in there was ultimately, yeah, good. He then says you can blame Bobby Lashley because he was the one who took out his friend Sami Zayn and he hasn't been at his side. He quit because of Lashley, but he's also the reason he's back. This is still the Kevin Owens show. What he did to Lashley last week was a warning. And he's going to be about anarchy, agony, and destruction. That's what you can expect from him, and it's all Lashley's fault. Sounded like Snitsky at the end here. 
I think a good job from Owen as always. He's he's really trying very hard to uh, make us forget about that Braun program by being incredibly serious and, and incredibly in- intimidating. And he's doing his best. I kind of find you know the Lashley explanation. I I you know, I buy it the the relationship with Zayn. It does feel like it's a bit of a reach uh, in some ways, but perhaps not any more than your typical wrestling pivot. Uh, so you know. It's it's he's doing good, man. I just want to see somebody like Kevin Owens perform, and he's as a serious threat, and we're getting that right now. Yeah, and this was not added to the pay per view, at least not as of yet. So maybe they're holding off on this for something else. Australia could be that show is also filling up quickly too. They've announced quite a lot of matches for that. Although, I mean, they can go forever on that show. It's I mean, all these shows they can load up as much as they want. Well, he suffered from vertigo. Oh, that's that's a great question. Uh, perhaps that's a that's a long airplane ride. I think uh, I think Kevin Owens will be accepted in Australia. Saudi Arabia, we do not know. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Bobby Roode and Chad Gable did an insert promo where the 32 year old Chad Gable was referred to as "kid" by Bobby Roode, and then as he went to do his glorious uh, tagline, Chad interrupted. Basically, and- if you're short, you're always going to be 18 he's a he's a pup god damn it he's gonna interrupt him this is bark that's essentially chad gable's role it's like he's an overactive child and bobby Roode is his handler i'll tell you what he is and i think i guarantee you this is how vince McMahon sees him he looks at a guy like chad gable and he thinks this guy looks like a fan he looks like a guy who's a big fan of our superstars, and therefore, let's put him into fantasy camp with this guy, with Bobby Roode. And that's essentially what the character is, isn't it? I'm just so glad Kurt Angle didn't come around now. Like Chad Gable is, is a legit Olympian. I know. That He's got a trim- thing. Uh, it means nothing, but like this guy's got personality. He's a great wrestler, and his his you know, his cardinal sin is that he's not 25 pounds heavier or four inches taller. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think he'll do a good job with this, though. Like I th- th- think, like you said, the guy has... Not only will he get over in, in do, during the matches, but I think as a character, I think he'll, he'll be able to unlock something within himself. So I think he'll get over regardless of, of the role he's been given, but the guy could be much more. I agree. Like, I see best-case scenario here is he's Crash Holly. And I just mm. see this guy as being capable of so better. much more. He's way better than Crash Holly, though. I know he is, but he's not in a role where he's going to be... But, but the I audience think... will make him bigger than, than the role. Uh, I don't know. I Listen, I'm a big fan of this guy. I just... Uh, I'm hoping this is something, because it, who knows? Maybe this catches on in some bizarre way. So they had a rematch with the Ascension, same match as last week. So Bobby's about to start the match when Chad tags in before he can even lock up, and he starts suplexing Victor, knocks Connor off the apron. Connor's role in this match was basically get knocked off the apron. Rude gets the tag. He knocks Connor off the apron, then delivers a spine buster to Victor. He's setting up for the glorious DDT when Gable blind tags in, and he wins with the chaos theory. Rude showed, like, a hint of annoyance, but was more so just excited that he's won again with this guy who's doing all the work. I actually kind of like Bobby Roode a lot more in this dynamic than than he does on his own. Like he's very obnoxious, I think, on, or just plain boring on his own lately. But I think like kind of being seen, being put on this pedestal by this fan, Chad Gable, 
um, makes like Bobby Roode's kind of bewildered look somewhat interesting. Um, and I think, you know, it, it seems to be a setup, in my opinion, probably for a, a feud between the two down the line. And I, I ultimately feel like at least a program for either man is, is a positive thing. Then the announcers were plugging the E People's Choice Awards that I guess are coming up soon. I, I greatly enjoyed this, mainly because of Renee. So first of all, they read off the nominees for Best Reality TV Star. RuPaul, Snooki, Kim Kardashian West, Jonathan Van Ness, who Renee instantly pops for, and uh, Nikki oh, Bella. A, do you watch that show? No. Queer Eye? I don't. I don't watch it. Is he the host of it? I don't even know who Jonathan Van he's Ness one, is. He's one of them. Okay. Well, that seemed to be Renee's pick for that award. Then we had the Game Changer of 2018. Like the, the entire uh, environment that these people occupy was changed because of their involvement. Hit, hit, we, eject, and then... Serena Williams, who is challenging the, 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 the gender norms of tennis coming off a big controversy this weekend... Ali Raisman, who I'm not familiar with, Cristiano Ronaldo, Kevin Durant, and Nia Jax. Yeah. This was one where Renee said uh, she would be voting for Nia. So we were kind of able to ascertain who Renee's picks were here. I believe she would have voted for Jonathan Van Ness over Nikki Bella. Game changer, she said she would vote for Nia. And then we had... Best show of 2017. All the television out there. Saturday Night Live. America's Got Talent. This Is Us, which was Renee's pick. Walking Dead and Raw. Yeah. Who owns E? Uh, NBC Universal. Yeah. Well. Stunning. Go. Uh, so... What do you it's expect? amazing how this... all these... Uh, well, a AMC is Walking Dead, so this isn't all... Uh... Who owns AMC? Well, it's not NBC Universal. Oh, That's okay. what I'm saying. So, Well, come uh, on. You can't actually deny the one legitimate contender like amongst the whole pack. Well, Renee, uh, I just enjoyed if you watch this. like She had her natural reaction to these nominees that I believe if Renee revealed her secret ballot, it would reveal... Jonathan Van Ness, uh, Nia Jax, and This Is Us as her nominees. Mm -hmm. So yeah. she even ends it by, you know who to vote for. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, what do you expect? You know, I, I feel like these awards are just uh, ways to get people to attend the, the show. I guess so. I'm sure the WWE is going to send everybody for this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, can you imagine if Raw is the name the best show of 2017? Um, I can't really imagine it, even on a on a bullshit <laughs> award show like this. But I mean, you know, who knows? I think if you ask, though, uh, if you consider best as in the, the one that make, make makes the most money, uh, and you know, in some way, when you look at ratings and cable ratings, you 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 can see you can make a very good argument for Raw. But is that necessarily what the basis is of, of this award? I don't know. I yeah, it's not the it's not the machine SNL is though in for NBC, right? especially over this past year. Uh, I would imagine 
Oh, I, 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 anyway, I don't even know how these are tabulated. Are these votes? Oh, are they just God. named? A, I, I don't even know how these are. People's choice. Is, is there any kind of official, unofficial process to this? You know, people's choice. I'm guessing it's some type of type of type of thing. So, uh, I, I'd love to know the behind hey, the scenes of all this stuff. Raw could win. I and I think like again, it's like it's probably these companies seeing the real value in 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 the wrestling audience right now uh, by choosing to include something like a Raw on their show. Oh, I definitely see the strategy. Of yeah. course, yeah. If you if you look at the, man, this does three million viewers every week, and to get if three million people tuned in for the E People's Choice Awards, that would be a phenomenal number for E. Yeah, that doesn't average anywhere near that in prime time. AMC seems to be owned by AMC Networks, so it seems like it's an independent. Um, but do you think like WWE will will make a big push for for all this in the weeks ahead? I don't know when the awards are. Let's look when these awards are, because I, I just assumed that they were like coming up. The E, what are they called again? The E People's e, Choice. E People's Choice Awards. Okay, so these awards are coming up. November 11th. Oh, Jesus. So we got a long way to go before these. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a big UFC card that night. Frankie but, Edgar's fighting uh, Chan Sung Jung. You know, I won't like, be watching winning, this. Winning a, a, an award like this, I I think even something like this is kind of beyond the WWE right now. They don't exactly gain, you know, a, a huge like it's not like winning an Emmy. No, no. This I've never heard of these awards in my life. Here, g- give me your pick for best movie of 2018. Okay, are you ready? Uh, best movie. I'm gonna give you the nominees. Okay, please. Yes. Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Avengers Infinity War, mm-hmm. Incredibles 2, Deadpool 2, Solo, a Star Wars story, Fifty Shades... not even nominated? Solo? Yeah. Well, we just explained kind of the process here. Fifty Shades Freed, Ready Player One, A Quiet Place, Jurassic World, A Wrinkle in Time, Ocean's 8, or Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> I think Black Panther's going to win that. I think so, too. Of those choices, yeah. Just looking, at, man. These nominees. This is like ten nominees for like each each category here. They just include everybody. John Cena's nominated. Dude, John Cena's nominated for one of these. Why oh. wasn't he mentioned? Comedy movie star of 2018. What movie? For Blockers. Yeah, he's very. He's funny. up against uh, Leslie Mann, who was in the same movie. Oh. Oh, he's he's not going to win this. He's against some heavy competition here. He's against Mila Kunis, John Hamm, Melissa McCarthy, Amy Schumer. Nah, Cena's not going to win. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Dwayne Johnson is nominated for action movie star, of course. Anyway, there you I go. I started to watch Skyscraper, but um, my dad fell asleep in the middle of it, so I stopped. Dude, when they read the TV shows of 2018, they didn't even list all the nominees. There's double the nominees they're up against here. I mean? think... Oh, okay. okay. So, best show, yeah. Walking Dead, This Is Us, Grey's Anatomy, Big Bang Theory, Will and Grace, Raw... The Good Doctor, 13 Reasons Why, 911, America's Got Talent, Modern Family, and Saturday Night Live. Okay. Well, I don't care. <laughs> if Walking Dead was an NBC show, I would understand that they only promoted the NBC shows, but Walking Dead is not. Am I crazy? Like, there is no connection uh, Walking to. Walking Dead is AMC, and so is Mo- Modern Family is ABC. Modern Family wasn't announced on Raw, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, if you want to legitimize your show or your awards, I think you have to at least mention one show that people consider to be the best TV show. 
So they just threw it in there as a, as a red herring. I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain. Well, these awards, maybe we're going to have to watch this that week for no, the double shot. I will not be. Maybe I will. I, dude, I'm still scrolling. It's like 20,000 pages of nominees here for these awards. I, I couldn't sit through it. The Dogs of War in the Locker Room. This is their show, they announce. They're upset the Shields back in the building. Corbin walks in. He mentions that Louisiana goes by the Napoleonic Code. And then announces that Ziggler and McIntyre are defending the tag titles on Sunday against Rollins and Ambrose. They're the Nap- pissed. Yeah. The Napoleonic Code got some cheers from this crowd. Yeah. New Orleans is proud. Yeah. Proud of their the their laws being uh, presented in a clear form back in the 1800s. He says that he has a good reason for making this tag title match. It's his first pay-per-view as general manager, and it's an epic match. Had nothing to do with being blackmailed because of a threat of going to prison. He said Stephanie wants Braun to take the universal title away at Hell in a Cell, and Braun announces he's going big dog hunting. Dog hunting? Yeah, he was going to go get the Nintendo gun and go uh, play duck hunt. Mm, But with dogs, okay. Cool. Yes. Ronda Rousey and Natalia versus Alexa Bliss and Mickey James. They did an interview on WWE.com with Alexa announcing that Mickey would team with her instead of Alicia Fox. Uh, when pressed why, uh, she stated, well, they want us to go two segments long and Alicia Fox is not doing a 13-minute match with me. I didn't watch the video, but I imagine that's exactly what was stated. It was interesting to see where they put this because tonight was the return of Monday Night Football and there was a double header on. So... In the, by the fourth quarter, this game was a total blowout uh, with the Jets and the Lions. So they put this match on as the Monday night football game. The first game is you would think that there would be maybe some tune out. Like this game was completely done, essentially. It was like a 30-point difference. So uh, you could maybe see that strategy that people are kind of, this game's pretty dull. The next one hasn't started yet. Ronda Rousey's on the other channel. I mean, that to me is the one person on this show that you may get a small percentage of the audience that might be curious if they've never seen her wrestle. So this was 10 o'clock, right? Or this was, yeah, this was right around 10. Mm, okay. And the next game was going to start about 15 minutes later. Okay. Michael Cole reminds them of Ronda Rousey's win at WrestleMania in this city. Did you catch this line by Corey Graves in response to that? No, please. He stated there are not enough hurricanes in this town to make him forget that day. Ooh. Hmm. I thought that was a questionable line to blurt out if you're Corey Graves. Yeah. In New Orleans? Yeah. I that's mean, a very sensitive topic. Yeah. I'm not from New Orleans. You know, our, our, I mean, maybe we'll ask Rodney. Was this line offensive? Like, it could be that, that hurricanes are just kind of like a, like a thing. You know that 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 the city is known for, obviously, like not the not Katrina, uh, but but just like, uh, like it's just part, it's like saying snow in Toronto. Uh, I wonder. I mean, I'm sure Graves didn't intend to obviously, you know, bring up Katrina or anything like that. Natalia and Bliss started the match, and when Rousey was tagged, Alexa immediately tagged out to Mickey, and 
Mickey went for this waist lock that Rousey just laughed at its application and then clotheslined Mickey. Natalia comes back in. This match was just get the heat on Natalia and Ronda building up to her hot tag. When Ronda finally got back, she chased Bliss, got caught by Natalia, and Rousey came off the ropes and they hit a heart attack onto Alexa Bliss. And mm-hmm, I really like that. I mean, it didn't look great, uh, or at least like for, on Ronda's end, I think it 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 might be able to need it. It needs a little bit of work, but I think the spot is a great homage. So we come back after the break. Now Mickey's back in control of Natalia, and Ronda gets the big tag. She's distracted by Mickey and then goes to the floor and they run her into the barricade. Alexa does. And they're attacking her ribs uh, coming off last week's attack when she was thrown into the steps. Repeatedly kicked the ribs. James comes in. She's kicking her down in the corner. There's a sliding drop kick into the ribs by Mickey. And then the crowd's chanting Ronda. She knocks Natalia off the apron, but Rousey fires up with jabs, knocks Alexa down. She's selling the ribs as she's delivering these jabs. And Mickey yells, or one of them yelled, you greenhorn at Rousey. And then she points to Alexa, sets up for the arm breaker, applies it. Mickey taps immediately as Alexa watches in fear. And then after, Rhonda and Natalia have their arms raised and Bliss kicks her from behind into the ribs as they celebrate. So going into the match on Sunday, it was the one-sided squash by Rhonda at SummerSlam. And now she's going in hurt uh, against Alexa, which can explain Alexa getting the heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, you know, I think we got a, a bit of a glimpse of, of that in this match. It feels like now we're getting a bit more of a mm, more more compli- complex Ronda Rousey in ring in that we're starting to see her sell a body part a bit more. And in that department, I think Ronda looks rather um, amateur, um, at least in comparison to her stri- striking and her comebacks, which I think are already on a, on a very high level or... Uh, looks great in a wrestling context but i think her selling it's fine it's fine for somebody who's a year into it but then i see her with the championship belt and that just looks wrong to me like it does not look like the level that you would expect from the champion granted this is a completely different situation with ronda rousey i'm not even arguing that you shouldn't put the belt on her but i i'm just saying i think in that department she has a a, she has a quite a bit of room to grow yeah i think it's I think the Alexa program is a very difficult one just because of the the discrepancy in size and trying to make this as believable as possible uh, for, for many that just know who Ronda Rousey is and you're looking at Alexa Bliss that, you know, the Nia, the Nia Jax match worked really well because of the size difference. And this one, I, I think they're really trying hard to make this come off as a more even match that it's a, it's a tough match to put together on Sunday, even with this rib injury. And it's going to, I think on Sunday, it heavily is going to be reliant on Ronda selling. I, I think it's uh, very much like you. I think she's ahead of people at her experience level, even those well beyond her experience level. But, um, but there's some things I just, that, I, that, that just don't come as naturally, or at least like don't translate as well from, you know, her legitimate background into pro wrestling. And I think that's the acting really. It's the selling and it's, it's it's all the kind of little nuances. I find it also hard that this is Ronda Rousey we're watching as well. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. you um, kind of have to remove yourself from like the MMA. You know, like it's at least like do your best to, and I think like recognize that hey, this is like a different character entirely that that just kind of bears the same resemblance and name. But 
you know, yeah, it's it's tough. And it's one of the problems, I think, with Alexa. It's the fact that, like, she's so undersized that, you know, it's kind of sometimes works against her when, when she's being positioned as the top heel of the program. It's only because she's so great at it. She's so great at cutting those promos and I think just selling the character that she's really undeniably deserves that spot. But the size does kind of she is something she has to kind of work around. I think they did make the right call putting Mickey in this match yeah. instead of Alicia. Absolutely. I, I think this would have a lot of problems if it had been Alicia and they were going 13 minutes. Elias is in the back. He spit tea into some production assistant's face. And then Braun's running wild in the back, searching for Roman. He lifted up a dude and tossed him into these poles and just yells, Roman. This was like crazy Braun that got him over initially. Felt like babyface Braun anytime he's, he has these types of freakouts. Yeah. Charlie interviewed Rhonda and Natalia backstage. She says she's fine. Even if she's hurt, she will be at Hell in a Cell. She has never pulled out of a fight. It's not because she's never hurt. It's because she believes even on her worst day, she's still the best. Hmm. And Natalia just stood there and acknowledged this. Elias is in the ring. He says that the audience seems lost and asks if it's because the Saints lost yesterday. So a big Houdat chant broke out here with the New Orleans fans. He says Drew Brees is sick of representing this rundown city. He wants this year to be over. This guy put the, the death knell in their season one game in, but says his song could save them all. And that's when he's interrupted by Mick Foley. I think Elias is just now going to be the guy that everyone interrupts. And when there's a special guest, this is the guy they'll put with Elias because he can just play off anybody. Definitely. Yeah, he's kind of being put in that position that, you know, other like Santino used to have, um, other kind of comedy figures used to have. And you know what? Elias has been doing great with all of them. So Foley comes out. The announcers are wowed by his perm. What do you think about his hair? He's dropped weight and he seemed to be moving a lot better here. Yes, yes, definitely. I noticed like he hopped up onto that apron. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy wasn't doing, you know, cartwheels, but he seemed to be... Like, I've seen him walk around where it looks really tough for him, and he seemed to be, uh, the weight loss was notable, and it it seems that he's, you know, used these last 18 months to get into uh, better shape. Definitely. I noticed the slimmed down look. I noticed the slimmed down hair as well. Yeah. Yeah, the hair suits him. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Foley puts over his vocals. He's a very big fan of Elias' vocals, but as a lyricist, he doesn't have a sincere bone in his body. So Elias says, well, how's this for sincere? It's hard to imagine, but I was a child once. And I sat in the arena at the King of the Ring that night in Pittsburgh. Which I hope he wasn't making this up, because I thought this was a really cool little trivia note. Is he from Pittsburgh? He is from Pittsburgh. And he would have been 10 years old at the time of that show. Interesting. Wow. I'm sure it's true. He says that. Mick's career was never the same after that night, and he was praying that Mick would stay down after he was thrown off the cage, but instead he got up and he got choke slammed through the cage, and his life has never been the same. He calls him a broken man, singing the same sad song for the last 20 years that he can barely remember the words to. The crowd starts chanting Mr. Socko, which was probably not the desired chant either man wanted at this point. Foley says, I didn't come here to talk about the past. I'm here to address the future. And he called up Stephanie McMahon. 
Stephanie McMahon, for those that maybe are new to this this little program called Raw, this uh, E best TV show of the year, Raw. Stephanie is the one who fired this man from his job last year. Unceremoniously fired him. So Mick just called her up, maybe texted her and said for this 20th anniversary of Hell in a Cell, I've got to have some role. I'll be the timekeeper. She laughed in his face. And he describes that night in Pittsburgh in 1998 being brought back on the gurney. And he felt stronger and tougher than he ever felt that night. And he feels that if you could have bottled up what was inside of me, you could have lit up the city of Pittsburgh. He wanted to feel as alive as he did that night when he was almost dead. And it was when he was wheeled to the back after the match. Ten minutes later, he met Stephanie McMahon for the very first time that night. And then he announces that Stephanie has granted him his request that in six days, he will be the special referee for Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it's been nice to see some of these Attitude Era guys be given roles on the show. And I think, uh, I guess with, you know, with the uh, football, uh, it makes sense. Uh, it was nice to see this version of Foley again, the serious promo, you know, pissed off version of Foley. And he was great in this segment. Yeah. Like he was great, especially I think when he came back. When it started, I felt like it was a little bit forced, like, oh, Mick's going to get into promo mode now. But you know what? So what? I think I think that it was nice to see that. I thought Elias really held his own. He's been really showing his confidence uh, and, and really hanging in there with, like, really leading these segments and doing a great job at it. I like the addition of Foley as special ref. I think it'll serve as, like, a constant reminder of the history of this structure, and I think it'll just make the match feel a bit more special. It's a little tough because... He can't take any kind of bumps in this match. He doesn't need to. No, but it's... I, I feel that... First of all, like it was very awkward for him to explain this whole thing with, with Stephanie. That she would put him in this match. That by the end of this segment, the only conclusion I had was that Mick Foley is working with Stephanie to try and screw Roman. Like, What other logic would this make for Stephanie to put this guy in this match for we have established she wants the title off of Roman Reigns. Hmm, it's possible. Um or it could just be like they, if it's just putting him in this match, it kind of makes no sense for the Stephanie character to do this. It could just be them wanting to promote I mean in the end it's about to pr- promoting this special, right? On hell on on the network. And I think they just need to come up with some half-assed ex- ex- explanation about how he could get into this match. Elias ended the segment by telling him to shut his mouth and leave and Foley re-entered the ring. He said, you played a millions every week. You're going to be a future universal champion. I haven't been here in 18 months and I'm Mick Foley and said, Stephanie also allowed him for old time's sake to make one match tonight. And he's booked Elias against Finn Balor. This Stephanie character sounds awesome. What a wonderful person. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Stephanie is the originator of the dual role. And when Mick Foley traveled to Stanford, he got non-character Stephanie. He got philanthropist Stephanie McMahon. He caught her on a good day, probably. I guess so, yes. Uh, I really enjoyed this segment a lot. I thought both were great. Um, 
I, I thought McFoley did a great job here. I thought Elias did a great job. I like the addition of Foley. I think that adds some interest uh, storyline-wise for the match and what his role is. And yeah, I, I thought Foley did a great job here. Mm-hmm. And also really put over Elias here. I mean, the guy called him a future universal champion. Yes, yes, yes. So everyone did well here. Braun is still searching for Roman. He threw a water bottle at a man's head and then tossed a garbage can searching for him. Then Elias took on Finn Balor. This was just really late in the show. I don't know about you, but I was kind of checked out during this match. Not just you, Uh, the audience. Yeah, this was just one of those matches. You knew it was going, you know, longer than two minutes. It ended up going 10 Elias had the heat for a while. Then Ballard did his comeback with a sling blade to go to a commercial. The audience was just getting into their Marty Skrull chants. And Ballard then ran into the corner, got lifted up on the shoulders, but then popped off. Graves brought up Finn being on a cold streak. And Michael Cole took exception to this and laughed off this comment that he's on a cold streak. And it ended up with Corey, like, walking back his comment. Ballard then... Because, um, well, Cole's explanation was that uh, he would. He was. Fa- he had faced Braun Strowman in his last couple matches or last match, and therefore it's not a cold streak. But I think it's, it's he's he's not wrong though. He's he's lost to Braun. He's lost to of Corbin. He's, not wrong. he's lost to Roman Reigns. Dude, it's not wrong at all because if you're any viewer, you're looking at uh, uh, this uh, this Finn Balor and you're thinking this dude's a bit of a loser. He's been booked <laughs> terribly. Meanwhile, I think Cole is just trying to save that. Trying to say, oh, we haven't been, but he's been booked fine. He's been up against Braun Strowman. It's like, it's the audience arguing against the booker for this Finn Balor treatment. He just held the title for one night. Balor knocks him off the turnbuckle, misses with the coup de gras, and then catches him with an inside cradle. So he's he's now on a lukewarm streak, pinning Elias. (laughs) And Renee starts cheering. And Cole says, you can't do that. I think reactions to to Balor have like died down a little. And granted, this is in the third hour and kind of like a really bad spot. But oh, come on, this guy is just like he, uh, he's there. There's nothing going on with him at the moment. Nothing. Like he's a character that I think a lot of people have checked out of. And it was like a brief glimpse with the the demon at the last pay per view. But yeah, I, I just don't think he's someone that he's feeling more and more like um like Matt Hardy ten years ago when. There was an audience that got behind him, but they knew there was a limit. They are not going all the way with this guy at the moment. Yeah. He, he's being positioned right now as an, an, as an underdog babyface who's just barely able to sneak by somebody like Elias. And uh, again, you know, maybe to set up that power differential between him and the demon. Uh, I, I still don't think it's worth it. The guy's a chihuahua. I can't take him seriously. Not against a Elias. A pit bull. Yeah, we need to just have all, like, designations of dogs Elias for all these characters. Type. Yeah, I think Elias would be, like, a big, like a... Like a German Shepherd? Like a German Shepherd or a Doberman. I kind of think Roman's more of a German Shepherd. Uh, he's the he's the big dog. Yeah. He's the he's a Great Dane? <laughs> no, he's not that big. He's he's a big, big dog. That's yeah. the kind of dog he is. That's his breed. He's mm. big. Big dog. <laughs> big dog. He's got his own yard that he urinates on because it's his. Yes. All right. I can't do that with my throat. Uh, Braun comes out for the final segment. He tells Roman to face him like a man. No Roman. Calls hey, him a missed, coward. You miss Bobby Lashley. 
Yes, I did. I didn't see any of Bobby Lashley. I must have skipped past oh, him. What did okay. he do? Oh, please. I, you missed all this? Well, okay, I totally so, missed this. So Bobby yes. Lashley is in the back. I guess he's lifting weights. And then in walks Leo Rush. What? He, yeah. Leo Rush comes in. He's wearing a suit. He shaved his head. And he starts talking about like uh, uh, low reps or low weights, high reps, low weights, high reps. And he's basically trying to sell himself to Bobby Lashley to try to be his manager. And I think that's what we're getting now. We're getting okay. Leo, Leo Rush managing Bobby Lashley. I like the pairing a lot. I mean, I like in general the incorporation of, of a lot more 205 Live talent onto the main roster. I think personally I would prefer to see them. They're all going to be managers. That's going to be the role of all. That's going to be the legacy of the Cruiserweight Classic. That's it, right? Like, I'd rather see them come in as wrestlers, you know, or a tag team or something and not just as managers. And I don't know if I would have picked Leo Rush amongst the crop. But, I mean, he sounded great here, I thought. And I think this looks promising. You know what? That could also eventually turn Lashley because Rush is a very good heel. And babyface manager is not a great label to have. He's almost, he felt a little heelish to me here. But I mean, well, he's a heel on 205 Live. He's like the total, like, cocky, like, almost like an MVP kind of character on, yeah. on 205 Live that I, I hope he doesn't ditch that. And Lashley, God knows he needs a refresh. Yeah, but I mean, Lashley didn't come across like a heel to me. So I think again, it's like it's one of those kind of Drake Maverick dynamics that we'll we'll see how how it all plays out. I want a face to face segment with Leo Rush and Kevin Owens going back and forth, and Bobby can just stand there in the corner. That'd be fun. All right. Well, I'm glad you watched all of Raw. I, I totally missed the segment. Uh, Braun comes out for the final segment. Uh, Roman's not coming out. He says that Dean and Seth can't help him on Sunday at Hell in a Cell, and if Foley gets in his way, the injuries he sustained 20 years ago will look like a paper cut in comparison. He's taking the title, and he's sending Reigns to hell. Roman's music plays, and he shows up at the commentary position up on the ramp, and they go fight. Roman lands with a Superman punch. They fight on the stage. Braun's ramming his head into the screen, and then they get onto the desk. Roman lifts him up, and drops him off the table through the stage with a Samoan drop, and Braun is dead. Roman gets up to his feet. Michael Cole says that all of their feuding all these years comes to a head this Sunday as Reigns holds the title up and Braun is down on the floor. Mm -hmm. Kind of a strange way to go off the air here with Roman standing tall. Right, okay, because, yeah, you would expect the, the heel to. Maybe maybe well, we're going to get Braun winning with his new manager, Mick Foley, next week. Mick Foley. Or maybe Drew Gulak. Could be. Those are your options. Yeah. No. Um, well, I think Roman, because, you know, Roman was beat down last week. He needed to get something this week, right? That's just kind of how they do it. Maybe Drew and uh, maybe Gulak and McIntyre are going to have to have a truce about who moves forward with the name. Oh, the Battle of the Druze, yeah. I can't tell these two apart. <laughs> They've got the same fucking name. Yeah. Uh, maybe one of them could be... Uh, Andrew. Paul. Andrew McIntyre. Yeah. I, you know, I thought it was a big spot for this uh, go-home show. It looked impressive. Um, you know, I, I feel like the Mick Foley announcement probably did more to like really heighten my interest in that match. Um, but otherwise, Raw, all in all, I, I felt like... Maybe an acceptable go home show. Uh, I think the matches were are just kind of what they are, and um, yeah, yeah. About about my my uh, my interest in this pay per view is pretty lukewarm, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, I think that I, I really enjoyed the McFoley segment. I think that adds a little bit to that match. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with Sunday's pay-per-view. It nope. feels like a pay-per-view. It feels yep. like, and not like a, a huge one, but not one that I'm dreading either. Like, I think the there's going to be some good matches on the show on Sunday. I'm looking forward to most most of the matches I have uh, interest in on Sunday. Like, when you look at it, let's, uh, we won't go through all of them here, but just looking at. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do a deeper preview tomorrow. Yeah, but here's the current match listing. So we have Reigns and Strowman with Foley as the referee in the first Hell in a Cell match. Yep. AJ against Samoa Joe for the WWE title. Randy Orton against Jeff Hardy in the other Cell match, which will feature something insane. Those two Ronda, should be good. Yeah, I think that Jeff Hardy, this is the match he's been wanting since he's come he, since he came back last year. So I think he's going to have something crazy in store. Ronda Rousey and Alexa Bliss that... I think this is going to be a challenging match for Rousey, but I'm curious to see how they put these together. And the Rousey matches get that added attention that they really lay these matches out. So I don't think that's going to disappoint. They'll have that one well booked. Dolph and Drew against Rollins and Ambrose. That should be really good. Charlotte Flair and Becky, which some people might, that might have the most interest on this show for some. Yeah. Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella against The Miz and Maurice. That one feels kind of cold to me. And then rounding it out is the New Day against uh, the winner of the tag tournament for the SmackDown tag title. So that's what we have announced. I can see some more matches probably being added to this at the last minute. On paper, actually, it looks pretty good. Yeah. Especially on the SmackDown side of things. All right. Let's go. We only have a few pieces of feedback here, and then we'll quickly uh, go over what we have coming up this week. We start off with Brendan from California. The Universal title feud is such a mess. We we forgot the uh, rating. Oh, of course. Tonight's show. Heading into Hell in a Cell, by you, the forum listeners, generated a 2.83. Ouch. Ouch. Okay. Man, that was like a... I thought this was a better show than last week's. I don't remember what the rating was last week. Everyone hated last week's, although you and I were a bit higher on it than most. Mm. Um, okay. But this show, I mean, it, it got some stuff in place for, for Sunday. I, I thought they did. It was an adequate job. Brendan writes, this universal title feud is such a mess. It's so nonsensical with weekly crimes being committed, organically produced babyface brawn being sacrificed, having the tag and icy titles tied up, and the rest of the roster being paraded out like a pack of heel chumps. The only person this feud I actually care about is Seth Rollins. The show dragged so hard for me this week. If they didn't keep mentioning Hell in a Cell was this weekend, I would have forgotten this was the go-home show. There was so much damn filler. It just felt like they really only care about one feud. By the end of this episode, they even made me feel the Rousey Bliss match is some throwaway afterthought. I know WWE has never done these shows before the pay-per-view well, but this one seriously left me with no interest for this Sunday. They did a better job of pushing the SmackDown matches on this episode. Yeah, I will say, like, on paper, I feel like I like the show more than coming out of it from Raw, so I'm not exactly sure what that says about this edition of Raw, um, when I think so many of the matches already kind of sold themselves, but um, I agree. I agree with a lot of that. We go to Brandon from Oshawa. Maybe we'll only get feedback from Brandons and Brandons on this thing. (laughs) Brandon from Oshawa. I would have rather seen Mick Foley be the ref for the Randy Orton-Jeff Hardy match. Foley has a history with Orton that he doesn't have with Roman or Strowman. I would have liked to have seen him cut a promo with Hardy, talking about how much Hardy wants this match and about the risks involved. It could have added so much more. He's not needed in another Cell match. I agree. I, I kind of agree with that, too. I, I I would love to see, like, the story of Mick Foley trying to warn Jeff Hardy about what this might do to your body. Um, 
But, you know. Yeah. But again, they may have. I want to see how this plays out on Sunday. Like this very well. Right. I don't know. It struck me as this has something storyline related involving Mick Foley and Stephanie. Because if this is. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I just fell off the hell in a cell. I I know you're getting uh, very upset about the prospect of Mick Foley turning heel, but let us look at our track record of who they have turned heel recently. That they. that that is the uh, I guess so would not stun me at all. Hmm. He goes goes on to say Owens looks to be back on the tracks. Hopefully he continues being vicious and crazy, and he doesn't just lose to Lashley whenever that match happens. Speaking of Lashley, I guess I guess the pay over on Two Hundred Five Live isn't that great with all these guys making appearances on Raw lately. First Gulak and Maverick, and now Leo Rush. I like this. I think Leo could be a good mouthpiece for Lashley, but he needs to desperately turn heel because Leo Rush is a definite heel in this role. All right, the big question that I'm going to ask you, Way, if we're lining up uh, 205 Live graduates with their new managerial clients. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. Where does he end up? Oh, man. I would pair... I would pair TJP <laughs> with Kevin Owens. I thought of him first, too. I don't know why. Those, those two would have a no, no. interesting dynamic. I, you know, I don't know if that would work. I mean, that's a that's a bit of a tough. I don't know if any of these ones would work all yeah. long term. TJP and um, <laughs> Samoa Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they've got a Southern California connection. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh. Let's go to Jay from Colorado. So let me get this straight. AOP is a monster force to be reckoned with, but couldn't even handle the shield with the help of a dozen or more guys. They were easily dispatched, even with their tactical vests on. I get people. Pu- I get putting people like the Ascension and Mike Kanellis in the opening segment, but putting people like AOP and Kevin Owens there just made them look weak. And Drew Gulak is back again? Is he suddenly main roster? Notice how the best things about Raw the last few weeks have been the promos from the Attitude Era guys. Foley's promo made me long for the Attitude Era, as did the as did the Michaels, Undertaker, and to a lesser degree, Triple H promos. Speaking of the best part of Raw, happy to see Renee permanently added to the team. The commentary is watchable again. Lastly, Leo Rush and Lashley? I don't mind this pairing, but apparently we are just throwing random people from 205 Live with main roster guys now together. What's next? Noam Dar and Alicia Fox? Four out of ten show. I don't really see the pairings as random. I see them as, you know, uh, people that just need mouthpieces. And for Bobby Lashley needs a mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Um, I think the babyface heel dynamics definitely need to be fleshed out, fleshed out on, on both shows. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy if they are looking towards 205 Live to give to give a lot of those guys like chances to 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 have a broader audience. Because how many episodes of 205 Live do you think Vince McMahon's watched? Um, I'm sure more there, or less than one. No, I'm sure there are times he's been, you know, he's he's looking to share an Uber with Triple H, and he had to stay to wait for him. So <laughs> probably more than one. Tozawa. Um, Alex from Mabel. It, Raw has just become such a chore. I honestly, honestly can't think of the last pay per view where I had zero interest in seeing a single match from Raw. This was another bad show. Natalia is a horrible actress, and I'm not sure why she still she is still there when so many others that are better, uh, aren't even booked on the show. The main event title picture is incredibly boring. Mick Foley coming out was interesting, but hardly saved the show. Triple H had a lackluster promo after last week's confrontation. 
Well, then. The world's coming to an end, and it's being <laughs> led by this episode of Raw for some. All right. We well, are, are, we, are we suffering from some, some form of Stockholm Syndrome? Are we losing, uh, I think, uh, or, or is it the audience that, that might be just... Uh, what is you guys are so positive. <laughs> it's so annoying. Can't you hate anything? I'll, tell, I'll say this, John. I feel like taking notes and like actively trying to study the show as I'm watching it is a different experience than maybe just sitting back looking for some type of entertainment. Like, cause like, I feel like there's always something to take away whenever we talk about and review an episode of Raw. Most weeks, not all the time, uh, to the, to the point where it becomes like an actual, like enjoyable experience for me. But if I'm just watching this for entertainment, I could see why people would hate this. Oh, I can definitely see that. Um, though I, I believe I have a pretty good ability to be able to take notes and still actively hate something. So yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, these these are hardly award-winning shows, uh, despite being nominated for them. But I, mm-hmm. I don't feel this is the worst Raw has been by any stretch. Yeah. Um, so there's some good stuff going, but also some some glaring holes in some of the stories. I will definitely give you that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's. Uh, this has been a lengthy show, so let's let's quickly just go through a few things uh, for this week. Um, one big thing we are doing is Sunday night after Hell in a Cell, we are going to be doing. Our review of the show, our post show, and if you are a double double ice cap or espresso member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you'll be able to watch that review live as we do it um, by video. You can watch it. Yeah, I, I hope people aren't expecting like a big setup or anything. Like I was just planning on setting up like a like like a like a camera as we're recording the show. That there, way we're talking to listeners that sat through our venture into that studio at the Fight Network that was propped up by a hockey stick. Trust me, we did not build an audience off production values. Okay, yeah, no, this is just, I think, something... We're, we're always trying to, you know, add some more rewards to uh, uh, patrons, especially at the uh, double-double and above level, just to kind of make all that worthwhile for the people that, that choose to be so generous with their pledges. So uh, we're trying this out, um, and and if it's great, then maybe we'll continue for on pay-per-view nights. If not... We will never do it again. Uh, but beyond that, I'll be, I'll be watching the show at your house, John, so you can expect lens clips on the Patreon feed throughout the evening. Oh, you better bring a release form. I don't uh, consent to anything. Well, I, maybe I'll let you take it, take it over, knowing how uh, proficient you are now. I do. No, I, I'm, I'm going to have my Instagram stories going. That's yeah. what I'll do. I, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll man our Instagram. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching the pay-per-view with you on Sunday. Yes, we will be live after. And, and for those of you out there saying... Oh, what the fuck? Um, the show will be up just like normal for everybody afterwards, uh, free for everyone to download the podcast version of. This is just uh, in addition to if you want to listen live as we do the show immediately after the pay-per-view, uh, you have that option uh, if you are a member of those uh, tiers on the Post Wrestling Cafe. All of our shows are listed up at postwrestling.com for the week. We've got a ton of shows coming your way. Uh, we'll go more in depth to the in with them on a Tuesday night, but you can head on over to the site now, postwrestling.com. Is there anything you want to mention way before we sign off? Uh, up next coming up this week. Uh, are you doing a WH? Yes. yes. Myself and WH will have a show up on Wednesday. Yeah. And then, uh, eggs, all, all the usual stuff, double shot, double shot coming out, uh, to tomorrow night slash Wednesday where, uh, John, 
Oh, I got some big ones. I'm going to be reviewing an insane episode of Lucha Underground and uh, one of the best matches I've seen on television this year. Jay Lethal versus Jonathan Gresham from this week's Ring of Honor television. I'm going to quickly chat about that match it. as well. Oh, you saw it? Yeah. Okay, well, let's save that for Tuesday. Sure. We will chat about that on the double shot. Uh, three bonus shows this week between the double shot, Rewind Away, and then Saturday, Way and I will be back doing a quick show reviewing the Destruction card featuring Kenny Omega and Tomohiro Ishii this Saturday. So we have a loaded lineup. Go up to postwrestling.com. You can see all the shows that you can get, whether they be for free or on the Post Wrestling Cafe. So that is it. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll speak with you Tuesday night after SmackDown.